Good morning. Y'all look amazing this morning. I thought I might maybe take all of you to my garden um, this morning, but instead I decided I would bring my garden to you. So here's, here's some bits of my garden. I have to just kind of walk you through it just a little bit. This is my new favorite thing. Um, this orange tree, it's a Satsuma orange tree. Um, my mom bought this for me, and it's got little oranges on it. Can y'all see it? Isn't that so cute? I told, I told my kids, I said, if anyone pinches those oranges off, we're going we're gonna to be in trouble because it's just adorable. But, and then this is a moringa tree, which is the tree of, also known as the tree of life. It has every vitamin and mineral that your body could ever need. So they use it in third world countries. They plant them everywhere, and they're using it to um, help the people that are nutritionally deficient. So I think that's super awesome. Um, where's my elderberry? Anybody familiar with elderberry in here probably, right? You've got an elderberry syrup from me. This is my elderberry plant. I never really knew what it looked like because I would have the elderberries shipped in, but now I'm going to actually grow my own elderberries, and I'm excited but this plant is pretty neat. Um, its nutritional value is super, super amazing. It's an immune booster. Um, it's going to get, before I bought, but actually after I bought it, I didn't really read how big it gets. This one tiny little plant right here will get 12 feet wide and 10 to 12 feet tall. I was like, oh my gosh, I need, I need more land. I need more space. But I found a spot for it, so I'm excited. But <laughs> I will, I will um, move on from that, or we could be here all day talking about herbs and plants and all of that. You know, Pastor Trey, last Sunday we began a series called Be Still. Today is Palm Sunday, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit, but we're not going to stay on Palm Sunday. We're going to walk through it, and we're going to end up in the garden, via the garden. So, um, you know, we talked about gaining strength in the place of solitude last week, right? And I, I like to call that place the secret place. You know, it's that place where it's just you and Jesus. Just you and Jesus. We all should have that place because in that place is where we gain strength for what is to come. You know, Jesus was the perfect example of that. You know, when we think of Jesus, at least me, when I think of him, I think of him as our almighty healer. Like, he's, he's God. He's so big. He's so, sometimes we think of him as so out of reach, right? Like, there's not a sickness that he can't heal. There's not a demon that he can't cast out. He can walk on water. He turns the water into wine. You know, he, he's amazing. But today, as we walk through Palm Sunday to the garden, I'm hoping that today we'll see a very human side of Jesus. When I, when I was going through this, I it just stood out to me, and, I, and it just drew me closer to him in a different way because I just began to see just how human he was and some of the experiences and the things that he did here on earth. So we're going to begin with Palm Sunday. We're going to end up in the garden. And so in order to do that, we're going to start with Mark 11. That's Palm Sunday. I'm not going to read it all to you. I'm just going to paraphrase what happened with that. But before we do, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this beautiful day, God. We thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, come. We just ask you to come and be with us. 
Father, be with us in this message. I just pray that you would just anoint my words, Father, that you would just help me to portray what you would want me to portray this morning. Help our hearts to be open to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus, it's Palm Sunday, what we celebrate, Mark 11. Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem, and he sends two disciples on ahead and tells them to go look for a colt and a donkey at a residence. He tells them, go on over to 42 Wallaby Way, and there you'll find a donkey and a colt. Some of you got that, some of you didn't. And so he goes to to find this donkey and this colt, and he said, but you know, if someone asks you what you're doing when you untie it, tell them it's for the Lord. And I was thinking about that, and I thought, gosh, if that happened today, there would be a fight police would be called. So, you know, they did just that. They went to go untie the donkey and the colt, and sure enough, someone said, what are you doing? And they said, it's for the Lord. I was like, oh, okay. So they took the donkey, and Jesus is riding on the donkey through Jerusalem, and he has really just gotten such a following at this point in in the story and in his journey. He has people that are just singing his praises. He has done so many miracles and so many things have happened that the people are just elated with him. Like he has got to be, at this point they're recognizing him for who he truly is. You know, at first it was kind of like, who is that guy, right? But now they're like, he, he is the Messiah. This is the Lord. And so they're laying down clo- cloth, clothing and they're laying down palm leaves and he's parading through, which is considered really, really high honor to do that for someone And he's riding this donkey through the city in a very humble fashion, but very king-like. And um, it's very a very celebratory time, you know, very exciting. The people are so excited. They're just amazingly grateful for all that he is and all that he's done. This is the one they've been waiting for. But we have to remember that this was also a very, very dangerous time because as the people were celebrating him, and as they were gaining momentum and and recognizing who he was, the religious authorities are getting more and more annoyed, and they're feeling very, very pressured to take him out because he's winning the hearts of all the people, and so Jesus goes through, and he travels through. They're celebrating him. They're saying Hosanna to him and just singing his praises. He gets to the synagogue. It's later in the evening, and he walks into the synagogue, and he looks around, And then he decides to go back to Bethany, the town he was in before, where his friends were to rest. And I thought about that, and I thought, wow, he could have stayed in Jerusalem, maybe even had some bodyguards. You know, it was not the safest place, but this was the first time I really began to see the human side of Jesus. He chose to go back where his friends were, where he was comfortable, where he felt safe, and he stayed the night there. Then the next event that happens is Jesus is with his disciples, and they are having the Last Supper. It's the Passover. And so they're spending time together. He's eating and dining with them. And what happens? Judas gets up and betrays him. He leaves. So Jesus goes from the 12 to having the 11 disciples there. And um, he just was betrayed. And then, and then what does he decide to do? I don't know about you, but if I've just been betrayed, I'm probably not going to choose to wash people's feet at that time. But he decides in that moment to get the basin, the towel, and he's going to wash the other 11's feet. And so he washes their feet, and he says to them, you 
refer to me as master, right? And they said, yeah, you're master. You're, you know, you're our Lord, you're master. And he said, but yet I wash your feet. Go and do the same. And I thought, wow, you know, he was just betrayed by Judas, and he's still teaching. He's still fulfilling his purpose. So then from the Passover, he takes the 11 disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane. The Garden of Gethsemane, today, there are ancient olive trees standing there. Gethsemane translated means oil pressed. So anytime you want to get oil, you have to crush something. And oil is symbolic for us of the anointing. We use oil to pray for the sick. We use it to dedicate our children. So Jesus, before becoming the anointed one, has to be crushed. So before we get to the Garden of Gethsemane, I want to begin with Mark 1.35. And it says this, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He left the house, and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. My first point this morning is that Jesus gains solitude by design, not default. We know from last week that Jesus began his ministry with 40 days of silence and solitude, but that wasn't the end of it. He didn't do his time in solitude, and that was finished. It says he continued to practice withdrawing to solitary places to meet with his heavenly father and to get filled up by the Holy Spirit. We see this over and over and over again in scripture. But often we visit this place, right, when circumstance or worry pushes us to it. But that's not the only purpose for solitude. I couldn't help but think, what if we practice solitude when things are healthy and we're well and life is in rhythm and things are going good, what if we, what if we practice solitude then? It's easy to be pushed into solitude. It's easy to be pushed into that secret place when things are falling apart. But Jesus practiced solitude consistently. I can't help but think if we were to do that, you know, when we're on top of the world and things are wonderful, that we might maybe obtain the very nature of God in that moment. Maybe some of his mysteries would be revealed to us because we're in that secret place just to be with him, not because we're needing and we're crying and we're hurting and we're falling apart. We're in that secret place to dine with him, for him to just pour out his mysteries, answer some questions that we might have, if we would just meet him in that place of solitude. Jesus also frequented the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples to pray. He frequented there. We know this because Judas knew exactly where to go to find him. And it tells us in scripture that this was a, a common place for him to go. It was familiar. It was comfortable to him. He was used to being there. And so I can't I can't help but think, no wonder, that's where he went during his greatest moment of struggle. He went to a comfortable, familiar place. It wasn't awkward or weird for him to go there. I um, was at this conference in Florida 
several years ago, and there was a story that a young man was telling that I, it's just forever stayed with me, and it's just been a reminder to me in my life. But he was up talking, and he was talking about how he was so zealous for God, so on fire for God, and really felt like God had said, you need to go to Mozambique, Africa, and be a part of Roland and Heidi Baker's ministries. And he was like, yes, let's do it. I'm going to raise money. I'm going to go. He was so excited. So he goes, and he gets there, and he can't wait to see Heidi Baker because she's like, you know, his Christian icon, and he's excited. And so he finally is in her presence one day, and he gets a chance to talk to her, and he goes up to her, and he tells her, God called me here. I'm here for however long you tell me what you want me to do. I am here to serve. I am here to fulfill God's calling on my life. I know this is where I'm supposed to be. What would you have for me? I'll do anything. It doesn't matter what it is. And he finished, you know, she just sat there listening and he finished. And her response is, is, is one that has always just reverberated in my mind. And he said, she looked at him and she said, you need to go to the beach, walk the beach and pray, spend time with Jesus. And he was like, what? And she said, you need to go walk the beach and spend time in his presence. And so he did. And, you know, when I first heard that, I thought, oh, my gosh, she just totally dismissed him. Like, how rude. Like, he would have done anything. He would have went over and taken care of the orphans. He would have brought her her coffee. He would have drove her truck from this place to that. He would have changed diapers. He would have um, prayed for the sick. He would have done whatever she asked him to do. And I'm pretty sure she had some things she needed done. Pretty sure. But her response to him every time he came back and said, I did that, was go back to the beach, walk the beach, and spend some time with Jesus over and over and over and after I started thinking about that more, I realized she was teaching him to prioritize God's presence because it's the most important thing in our lives. Our text this morning that I want to go to is Mark 14, 32 through 42. I'm going to read it to you. It says, they went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that, if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy and they didn't know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us go. Here comes my betrayer.
Now we're in the garden. And the point I want to share with you this morning is that, you know, we say what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. You've heard that saying? That's not what I'm saying. What happens in the garden doesn't stay in the garden. Matthew 6, 6, but when we pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The first thing we can take from the garden this morning is that it is a place of preparation for destination. The garden is a place of preparation for destination. Jesus is about to endure the cross. He is taking on the weight of all sin, not some, all sin. He can't go to the cross without getting his mind right, his vision clear. He is in preparation. Isaiah says he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He knows he's about to be crushed. He knows what he's about to endure. But he's our superhero. He's the one that walks on water. He's the one that heals every sickness, every disease. But here in the garden, he's going to feel pressed. He's going to be crushed. He's going to agonize. He's going to feel the weight. Have you ever taken on the weight of someone's sin? Have you ever felt or carried the weight of someone's sin? As a parent, you probably have, possibly. Or maybe you've carried it for a spouse. Or maybe a sister, a brother, a parent. I think many of us know what that what that feels like to carry the weight of one person's sin. But imagine carrying the weight of the world. I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine what Jesus was experiencing. He is being crushed. He is being pressed. And he knows that he must be crushed before he is anointed. You know, some of you are in that place in the garden. You're feeling pressed. You're feeling crushed. You're overwhelmed. You're in agony. You don't want to be there. Jesus didn't want to be there. Jesus wasn't saying, oh, thank you, God, for this opportunity. I feel so honored. You know, one day, because of what I'm doing, Trey Rose is going to play the Messiah in a theater production. Thank you, God. This is so amazing. He's not saying that. He's saying, take this cup. Take this cup. You're God. Some of you are saying, you're God. Where are you? Take this away from me. I don't want this. I don't want to carry this. I didn't ask for this. It's not fair. But God wants to get you to a greater level of anointing. He wants you to be more effective. And to do that is going to require some Garden of Gethsemane. We must be crushed. We must be pressed before we're anointed. He's not mad. God's not mad at you. You know, the higher we want to go, the lower we have to become. Jesus was digging deep in the garden during this time of preparation. He was preparing for what was to come. When tragedy hits you, You have to dig deep. You have to dig deep, and you have to see the beauty in it. 
because that's the beautiful thing about serving God and about being his daughter or his son is there's beauty in every tragedy, in every circumstance. You might not see it today. You might not even see it tomorrow, but you need to look for it because it's coming. There's beauty in every tragedy when we serve Christ. Without the moment of pressing and crushing, I wonder if Jesus could have made that walk to the cross. Could he have endured the cross? You know, many of us want the destination, but we bail on the preparation. If you keep leaving the garden, the oil press, you might not ever reach your full potential. Jesus said, remove this cup of wrath from me. You're God. Take it away. But then in his next breath, he said, but not my will, not mine, yours. The next thing we see in the garden is it's a place of surrender. It's a place of surrender. I, I went with the family to New Mexico a few weeks ago, and we visited a few herbal shops. And while we were there, I was talking to the lady behind the counter, and I was telling her how much I liked her shop because it was just really clean, and um, it was all about healing your spirit, your soul, your body. It was just, um, you know, a lot of the herbal shops here in Austin are pretty cray-cray. Like, I don't know if you've gone in them, but, like, there's idols everywhere. It's very mystic and just kind of weird, and you kind of leave there going, ah, get this off of me. But this herbal shop was just so refreshing. And so I was complimenting the shop and just saying how awesome it was and talking about herbs and, you know, all the things that I love. And, and as I was leaving, she looked at me and she said, people need to know it's safe to go back in the garden. And it just struck me and I immediately welled up with tears. And I was like, Yes. They do. They need to know that the garden is a safe place. It's a safe place. It might be a place of crushing and pressing, but it's a safe place. It's a place of surrender. You know, your life and my life and all of life is a battle of the wills. You ever thought about that? It's a surrendering of our will and taking on his. You know, in Jonah, <laughs> Jonah is an example of this, right? God said, go to Nineveh. And Jonah said, nope, I think I'll go to Tarsus. And what happened to Jonah? He ended up in the belly of the whale. That's another story I remember quite often. I do not want to end up in the belly of a whale. That does not sound like a fun place to be. You know, the biggest prayer we could ever pray is this. I surrender my will I surrender my life. I give you my plans. I give you my body. Here is my gifting. Here is my money. I'm not in control. Not what I want, God, but what you want. I can't help but wonder how many of us have actually prayed that prayer. That's a hard prayer. That's a dangerous prayer. Because if most of us were honest, we would say, I want to love God but I'm not really ready to give him control. 
it's a battle of the wills. Any, anybody have teenagers or two and three-year-olds in the house? That's a battle of the wills. Especially, like, I'm, I'm in the teen years, and I know it's like, do this or don't do that, and they do just the opposite, and then you're like, that's not what I told you to do. Why did you do that? I forgot. They did not forget. They didn't want to. It was not a matter of forgetting. Because, you know, when there's something they want to do, they do not forget. If they were over 40, maybe they might have forgot. Maybe. But they're not allowed to forget till then. Not allowed to. So I'm telling my kids anyway. It's not allowed in my house. You can't forget. What if we woke up every morning saying, God, not what I want, but what you want. How, how, how things could be so different. Even Jesus submitted to the will of his Father. And the greatest life we could ever have and ever live is a life of surrender. The third thing I noticed in the garden is that there's this face-off between our intentions and our actions. Jesus said, stay here and pray, lest you enter into temptation. That's what he told the disciples. I, I read that, and I thought, he's telling them to pray for themselves. He's about to go to the cross. He's about to endure such brutality. And he's not saying, pray for me, please. Yet he's feeling the anguish and the agony of it all. But he tells the disciples, Pray, lest you fall into temptation. And he specifically calls Peter out. Why? Why does he specifically call Peter out? Because he knows that very day, Peter will deny him three times. He tells them to stay and pray. But yet they don't. I believe they had really great intentions, don't you? I mean, these were... These were, he had the eight on one part of the garden. He pulled the three a little bit closer into the garden with him. And then he left them a little, he was a stone throws away to pray on his own. Here he has the three closest people to him stay and pray. And they fall asleep. I, I just, that baffles me. You know, they're in the very presence of Jesus, but yet they still fall asleep. And I wonder how many times we're in the very presence of Jesus, but we're not awake. What is, what is Jesus saying to us here? He's saying that prayer is important and that you need to go and pray, not just when you're sick, not just when you have this need that is just weighing on you day in and day out. He's saying you need to pray for what's to come because you don't know what's to come. And in prayer, you gain your strength. I can't, I can't help but think, what would the story have looked like had Jesus come back that first time and found them praying fervently, huddled up together, just, Father, fill me with your strength, with your anointing. What would the story have looked like then? And it's the same for us. It's the same for us. They wanted to be there for Jesus. They wanted to stay awake and pray. But a second and a third time, he finds them asleep. 
you know when sometimes when we make mistakes, we try to make up for it. And this is what I think Peter did because when they came for Jesus, what does Peter do? He cuts off someone's ear. And I, I can't help but Jesus just looking at him like, really? I saw you sleeping. You were asleep. And here he is, you know, trying to make up for it. We do that, right? We do. We do that. The spirit is willing, but our flesh is so weak. Can you relate to that? You want so badly to serve God, but you don't. Your spirit says to forgive that person, but your, your flesh is so full of bitterness, you just can't get over it. Your spirit says serve others, but your flesh says Ugh, just serve yourself. Here in the garden, we are reminded that there is a distance between our intentions and our actions. And I don't know about you, but I want to close that gap in my life. I want to, I want to follow the Spirit. I want to be Spirit-led and filled with the Spirit. I don't want to follow after my flesh. I want, I want the Holy Spirit to lead me. I don't want to be asleep when he's calling me to pray. Galatians 6, 7 through 8 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. If you want an abundant life, you have to be led by the Spirit. And the last thing that we can take away from the garden today is that it's a lonely place. The garden is a lonely place, but you're not alone. Jesus has eight people in one section of the garden. He's got the three a little bit closer. He goes off alone in the garden. Those three are just a stone's throw away, but I can guarantee you he felt alone, but he was not alone. Jesus gets alone. It's just him and God. And God stays with him as he's beginning to take on all the sin. He's dealing with all the anguish. Some of you are in the garden today. You're feeling pressed. You're feeling crushed. You're feeling the weight of what you're trying to carry. And you think no one gets you. You think no one knows. You know, Jesus, when he was crying out to God, it wasn't a pretty little prayer. It wasn't, it wasn't, oh, God, you know, please take this from me. He was pretty desperate at that point. He was like, you're God, fix this, right? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever prayed that way? It said he was dropping sweat, sweating drops of blood. Hopefully you've not prayed that way. But, but we can relate, right, to the times that we're just so pressed and so crushed. I know there was a time for me a while back where I was carrying something, and I was holding on to it, and it was so weighty. It was just so weighty, and I was just tired and worn out. I was tired of carrying it. And I was in worship, and I didn't feel like it was fair. I didn't feel like I had to be in this situation. I couldn't understand why I was having to 
experienced this circumstance and um, I just remember over and over while I was carrying this, just, God, it's not fair. Why? Why am I experiencing this? Why do I have to deal with this? Like, I didn't ask for this, God. And I just finally got to a point where I was just tired and worn out. And I remember sitting in church during worship, and I began to visualize the weight that I was carrying And I began to realize that God wasn't just going to, poof, take it away. That it was going to be here for a while. And so I was holding on to that thing. And and in my mind, I saw myself holding it. And it was so heavy. It was so, so heavy. And I just was so burdened by it. And I remember that scripture that said, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. And I was like, okay. This is the way it's going to be. I'm going to cast it on you. I need you to, ca- I can't carry it anymore. I can't. And so I saw the cross. And, you know, I've grown up saying, you just leave everything at the foot of the cross. Just leave everything at the foot of the cross. And, you know, growing up, you know, you gently lay things up at the cross. Or sometimes we come up to the front and there's a cross here and we lay our problem, our burden, whatever at the cross, give it to Jesus. But in this moment, I was not gently laying stuff down at the cross. I had that big old thing, and I was throwing it. And I was like, take it, because I don't want it. I can't carry this anymore. And I just began to toss it and throw it and just give it to God, and pieces were falling. And I began to pick up the pieces and just chunk the pieces at the cross. And I was like, fine. Take it. If you're not going to remove it, you carry it for me. And sometimes that's what we have to do. We have to say, God, take it. I can't hold it any longer. And you have to just toss it to the cross. Cast your cares on him because he cares for you. The garden's a lonely place, but you're not alone. God was with Jesus the whole time. And as he began to take on the weight of the sin, of all of our sin, and God removed himself from the garden, what did he do then? He sent an angel. He sent an angel to be with him. He did the same for Daniel in the lion's den. He did the same for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He did the same for David and Goliath. He did the same over and over and over again in Scripture, and he's doing the same for you. You are lonely, but you're not alone. God is with you. He is in the fight. He is in the battle. And you may be feeling pressed on every side. You're like, yeah, he's with me, but I'm just feeling pressed on every side. Don't leave the oil press. Don't bail In the garden. In the garden, Jesus gets all the resolve that he needs. It's just him and God, and then him and an angel. What does the angel do? The angel comes and strengthens him. In that moment, in that moment in your life where you feel you just can't take one more step, you just can't carry it one more day, That's when he sends his angel to strengthen you. 
I can't help but wonder that if we keep leaving our oil press, if we'll ever get to our full potential. Don't leave the garden. We need to let it be a familiar place of strengthening for what is to come. I sense that there are quite a few people today that feel like you're in the garden. If that's you, would you raise your hand? You feel like you're in the garden right now. The garden is a safe place. It's a safe place. Can I just remind you this morning that the garden is a safe place because God is with you in the garden. Don't leave. Don't leave the garden. Yes. about to do. Um, I I just want to articulate something about the garden as you were talking. I I believe the Lord showed me. If you look up here, you see everything in a pot, um, in dirt, except there's one hidden over here. What is this one, Carrie? Apple mint. Yep, apple mint. And this is in a a glass jar with water. You know, I, I kind of, in a strange sort of way, became the apple mint over there. And I thought, what is he thinking? He's up here in a garden. Everything else is in dirt and soil and pots, and he's in a glass with water, feeling extremely exposed, feeling cut off from something bigger than what it currently is. You know, they say that the two greatest needs of humanity are to feel like you belong and feel like you matter. And I think this apple mint right now, it's thinking, I don't belong in the garden. Maybe it doesn't even feel like it's in the garden. It just realizes it's in a glass bowl being exposed. Maybe it feels like it doesn't matter because it doesn't even sense roots that, that will come but aren't there yet. And for some of us today, you don't realize you're in the garden. You feel just completely lost, cut off from the grandeur of what once was. You feel like you have no purpose. You, you don't matter. And I just, I just want you to reevaluate and to be okay in the garden, even if your container looks a little bit different. Even if you feel like I was meant for soil, I was meant to be a tree that provides shade. Even if you're the one now that you feel hopeless and alone and lost, and like you have no sense of direction, it is so okay to be that glass jar in the garden because there is a gardener. And you don't have to fear or worry about being in the garden alone because God will walk through the garden with you. And so before I pass it over to Carrie, just one more time. An introspective look, a self-evaluation, just being fully self-aware in this moment. How many of you would say, I don't know what this feels like or looks like, but I just sense I'm in the garden and I, I just need the gardener's touch this morning. I just need to know that I'm not alone. I need to feel known and seen. I I need to feel like I have a purpose. How many of you, raise your hand this morning, feel like you're in the garden? All right, awesome. Carrie's gonna pray over you. Eric, will you come here? This is a moringa tree 
and it's the tree of life, known as the tree of life, has every vitamin and mineral that our body could ever need. And I want to give it to you. I want you to water it, take care of it. And I want you to remember that it's okay to be in the garden, that God is with you and that he's watching over you and that you are not ever alone, ever. I want to pray for you. Father, I thank you for Eric, God. I thank you, Lord, for his life, his ministry, his work. Father, all of it we just give to you. Father, we surrender it all right now in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, come. Encourage him. Show him how near you are. We just ask for your angel right now to strengthen him, God. Let your angels just strengthen him right now by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.